We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 this evening, if you'd be finding that. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We're just going to begin by reading one verse, then we'll back up and pick up some verses preceding it, and then some other Old Testament, New Testament verses as well. Uh, Let's stand together for this reading of the scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Having therefore... These promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Let me read it again. Having therefore these promises, we'll talk about what those promises are. Dearly beloved, Paul endeared endeared to these Corinthian believers Having these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all, have that word all underlined in my Bible, all, filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So we're going to look at that that subject tonight, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And let's pray as we get into it. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for just the opportunity we have to gather together, to sing praises to your name, to rejoice in your goodness, to watch young people as they are growing and using uh, their abilities and talents to, Lord, prepare to, to minister and to serve. We're just thankful and encouraged by all of these things. We pray tonight that God would just help us to be challenged in our heart, in our journey, in our walk, in our attitudes, in our actions by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, the object, the objective of this verse has to do with the subject of holiness. And uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit as we get into it. Uh, What is holiness? The word means sacred. It means something that is consecrated to God. If something is holy, like like for instance the the sanctuary, there's a reason that's called a sanctuary, usually it's a place that's set apart for the worship of God. Same word, uh, a saint. The word is often... Uh, the root of that is referred to as a saint, translated as saint. A saint is a person who belongs to God. They've been saved. They're they're redeemed. Uh, so the word holiness means to be a lot. It means to be without sin. It's separated. It's morally pure. Uh, as I said, the root of it, hagios, is the Greek word, is translated sixty times in the New Testament as saint. So as we think about this subject of holiness. Let's, we want to look at it in the context. Verse 1 is just a tremendous verse of Scripture, and we're going to kind of dissect it, look at it closer here in a moment. But let's look at the larger context of 2 Corinthians, and let's just look in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and begin reading with verse 14. 
Be ye not, speaking to these Corinthian saints, these believers, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, the word yoke is something that we you identify with because it's a, a yoke that's put onto oxen, for instance, harnesses them together. They're, they're united together, bound together. They're working together. And so he warns them, don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Doesn't mean we don't have anything to do with unbelievers. It means we need to be careful about our association with unbelievers, how close we are. And that would include even warnings about marriage. Don't be yoked together with unbelievers. And then notice how Paul reasons with them in verse 14. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? See, we, I could talk to an unbeliever. You could talk to an unbeliever and give them the gospel, try to win them to Christ, try to give a witness to them. But you can't have fellowship with them because... Because what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? Verse 15, what concord or what agreement hath Christ with Belial, with Christ with the devil? They don't have anything in common. Or what part had he that believeth, a true believer in Christ, what part has he that believeth, believeth in God, what part does he have with an infidel, with an unbeliever? Verse 16, or what, and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, talking to them. You're the, you're the temple of God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, verse 17 says, come out from among them, and be ye separate saith the Lord. I hope you're looking at that in your Bible. So we're talking about, in verse 1 of chapter 7, about holiness, perfecting holiness. And in the context, he's saying, you need to be careful about your, in, your interaction, your connection, your, your being yoked together with unbelievers. Verse 17, of clear command, wherefore come out from among them. And be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And he, he goes on and says in verse 17, and I will receive you. And God is speaking to them, and will be a father unto you. And you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. So that's the context. Be, come out from among them. And then he says in verse 1 of chapter 7, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So we're, God wants his people to be holy. Amen? God wants his people to be holy. You know, sometimes people associate holiness with certain religious groups. That's, the, those people are into holiness. Well, everybody that's a Christian should be interested in holiness, right? That's what the Bible teaches. You say, well, I'm just going to be saved and I'm not going to be holy. No, if you're saved, positionally, you're already holy. You belong to God. You don't belong to this world. You belong to God. And so holiness is something that we can identify with. And there's really, I look at holiness really in two ways, positionally 
and, and our position and our practice. And our position, that means the way God sees us. God sees over and over in the Bible, God calls his people saints. A saint is a holy person. Now, I know that sometimes people just get kind of brainwashed by the world, and they think that people become saints when a religious group, you know, extends sainthood to them and makes... No, that's not what the Bible teaches. God says all of his children are saints. That means they're set apart for God. We're not of this world. We've been set apart for God. So that's our, our position. Is, so we save people. We're, we're washed in the blood. We're redeemed. We're set apart for God. We're seated with Christ in heavenly places. That's what the Bible says about us. That's our position. But the other part of it is our practice, how we live. And that's why it says in verse 1, chapter 7 there in verse 1, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. See, a person could say as a Christian, I've been cleansed, I've been washed. And that's true, isn't it? We have been. Positionally before God, we're forgiven. When God looks at us, He doesn't look at us through our sin. He looks at us through the application of the blood of Christ to our sin. And we're forgiven and washed and cleansed. But we're to cleanse ourselves. What does that mean? That means that we're to, we have a personal responsibility to make sure we're living holy lives. Let us keep ourselves clean. Let us not be contaminated, you know, with the world. Remember the, the um, ex- record in the Bible of John chapter 13 when Jesus, before he went to the cross, he washed all the disciples' feet. He, and Peter said, not me. You're not going to wash me. <laughs> and Jesus said, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. And, and then Peter said, then give me the, wash me head to foot. Give me the works. Obviously, he wants to have. And Jesus said, no, if you've been washed, you only need your feet washed. You don't need to be f- completely washed. And there's a spiritual lesson in there. When you're saved, you've been cleansed and washed. But we're to keep ourselves clean. We're to cleanse ourselves. And that's a personal command to every child of God sitting here. We're to cleanse ourselves. That's a personal responsibility. Uh, Put something there to mark, if you would, in 2 Corinthians 7. And let's go further over in the New Testament to 1 Peter. We've been going through 1 Peter on um, Sunday mornings in our 10 o'clock Bible study. But 1 Peter chapter 1, and I want to begin reading in verse 14. As obedient children, and that's what we're to be, obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. Verse 15, 1 Peter 1, 15. Notice this, but as he which hath called you is holy. Now who called us? God called us, right? But as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. The word conversation there is not just your, the words you say, dialogue. Conversation is your lifestyle. 
It's your behavior. As he which is called you is holy, so be ye holy. Just be holy like he's holy. In all manner of conversation, in every part of your life, in every part of your life, in your, in your friendships, in your conversations with others, in your leisure, in, every, in all your conversation, we're to live holy lives. Verse 16, because it is written, this is a commandment. And now he's quoting from the book of Leviticus, but this is not Old Testament, this is New Testament. As it is written, be ye holy, it's a command. Be holy. So we ought, to, we ought to embrace this doctrine. We ought to embrace this subject. You know why? Because we are holy people. We've been set apart by God. He's redeemed us. He saved us. He washed us. He's adopted us. He's regenerated us. And we're his people. And so we are positionally holy. But in practice, we're to live holy lives. You know, we need to teach this. To ourselves, we need to teach it to our children. You're, we're to live holy lives. Now, let's look a little closer in this verse in 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 1. And let's just break, kind of break it down into parts. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Let's look at this word perfecting, perfecting holiness. Now, in the English language, the only definition I know of for perfect in our normal conversations, or our normal vocabulary, perfect we think of is without flaw, completely sinless, makes no mistakes. And that, that describes most of us, right? <laughs> no, that doesn't describe any of us. We all make mistakes. The word perfecting there means more than just sin. It means to be complete. It means to be fully fulfilled. In a fur, in a, I think it's Strong's Concordance says it means to fulfill further. Perfecting holiness means we're growing in holiness. We're, we're being complete in holiness. That's what that verse says. Be ye holy for I'm holy. And we can't make... Lest someone make a mistake or be, I'm being misunderstood, we can't, perf we can't make ourselves holy enough that God, God accepts us on the basis of our behavior. God accepts us on the basis of his son's sacrifice. But we're to live holy lives. And we, are, we belong to him. None of us have arrived. None of us, this is a lifelong responsibility. If, you, if you're just sitting here thinking, you know, I've just got saved, or maybe I've been saved five or ten years, and I look forward to when I've been saved 30 or 40 years, and, and I don't have to deal with sin anymore, none of us ever arrive. We're all still growing. We're all perfecting holiness. We're, we're, we're to be fulfilled further in our holiness. And we'll only be like Him, John says, we'll only be like Him, and that's what perfection is, it's like Him. And we'll only be complete when we see him as he is. But in the meantime, we're to be, what does the Bible say there? This is a great, a, a great practical to me admonition about our life. We're to cleanse ourselves. Look at what it says in verse 1. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. 
We're to be separating from sinful attitudes, we're to be from carnal desires, from fleshly behavior. We're to be always be, we're always to be cleansing ourselves. Not some, you know. I, we could say, well, I'm, I'm going to cleanse myself of some filthiness. I'm going to make sure I don't go to the gambling casinos. I'm going to make sure that I don't look at pornography. I'm going to separate myself from some from some practices, but this says all practices. That's the goal. We're to, we're to be vigilant against all forms of filthiness and sin. And he, discard, and he divides the subject in verse 1. This is a great verse, as I said. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit. Filthiness of the flesh would be filthiness of the body, sinful acts, foolish jesting and talking the lust of the flesh, all sins of the flesh, but also sins of the spirit. That would be attitudes like desires, pride, envy, bitterness, unforgiveness. We're to, we're to be cleansing ourselves of all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. You know, I, you, you, if a person were to listen to this and say, well, preacher, are you preaching this because you've perfected this? And I'd say, no. None of, I just said none of us have. I preach it because it's in the Bible. But all of us ought to take it seriously. It's not just for the preachers, for all of us. So perfecting holiness. Let us cleanse ourselves. Like it, look in verse 17 again of chapter 6. Come out from among them. You know, cleansing ourselves or separation. The... the, the Doctrinal position of separation. And by the way, this is one of the places that word separation comes from in verse 17. You say, why do people mention separation sometimes? Because it says right there, be separate. Separate yourself. And separation is always movement in two directions. It's movement away from what's wrong, and it's a movement toward God. Separation is always moving from something and moving to something. If I'm, if I'm, if I'm, God's dealing with me about a prideful attitude, then I've got to move myself away from that prideful attitude and move myself toward God in a humble attitude. It's always two directions. And again, we don't separate from sin to become God's children. We separate from sin because we are God's children. It's, it's just, it's not consistent. It's not consistent. With the Bible, it's not consistent with what we know about God. It's not consistent for a Christian to say, I know I'm saved, but I'm just not going to take serious this matter of sin. You're, that is so wrong. So it's just disrespectful and it's, it's, it's untrue. It's a falsehood. So, okay, let's go back and look at this verse a little further. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved... Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness, in the last part of the verse, notice this, in the fear of God. I think this is such a powerful, beautiful passage. You know what, you know what helps us cleanse ourselves? One of the things that helps us perfect holiness is the fear of God. Now, what does it mean to fear God? What does it mean to have a... This is such an important thing to understand. For us to learn, for us to teach our children. 
What is it to fear God? Is to have a holy reverence for God. You know, I think about the Old Testament verse that says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. God is almighty. God is to be feared. A fear, a, one person to find a fear, the fear of God is a having a dread of displeasing God. I don't want to displease God. I reverence, I respect, I fear God. Rather, I want to please and honor Him. Let me ask you, do you, be honest, in your own heart, answer this. Do I, do I have a fear of God? You know, one of the ways, a verse you'll be familiar with, one of the ways that God describes a lost person in uh, Romans chapter 3, think about this. Here's how God describes lost people. There is no fear of God. There's no fear of God in them. They don't fear God. They blaspheme God. They don't think about God. They don't think about answering to God. You know, one of the things that Jesus said about the Spirit of God, when He comes, when God begins to work, He will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment to come. A lot of people don't think about judgment. You know, one of the reasons why... I'm, I, I'm, kind of getting off track a little bit. One of the reasons why it's becoming more and more common for people to think about taking their lives, well, one reason why is because they're, they're hopeless in their place emotionally, but there's another reason why, and that is because they don't believe there's any hereafter. They don't have any fear of God. They don't have any reverence for God. We ought to fear God. And it could be that some people even here tonight, you're thinking, well, I, you know, people I listen to a lot, they, they act like you shouldn't fear God. Well, let me do what Jesus said. Jesus said, fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. You know who told us to fear God? Jesus did. Jesus said we ought to fear the Lord. So, this fear of God is one of the things that helps us cleanse ourselves. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Hold your finger here in 2 Corinthians, if you would, and go to the right to two passages in Hebrews I want to look at real quickly. Hebrews uh, chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. In verse 28, it says, He that despised Moses' law, this is Old Testament stuff, he that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 29. He died without mercy under two or three witnesses. And we could say, man, that's so severe. Nothing could be more severe than that. But look what verse 29 says. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. And look in verses 30 and 31. Look at this closely with me. For we know him that hath said... Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. 
It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, I understand that if a person was taught that they that the fear of God means that you can always be so fearful that you can't do anything, that you can't even enjoy life, that you can't, then they, they may be out of balance. But that's not usually the problem most people have. They just don't have any respect or awe of God. By the way, let me just insert this again because it's so important. You know, we ought to be Bible-believing Christians. There's so many people that disregard the Old Testament that say the Old Testament is not for us. But just look at this one example here in the New Testament where he quotes in verse 30 from Deuteronomy 32, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense. And then again, the last part taken from Deuteronomy, the Lord shall judge his people. If you've been made to believe that the Old Testament doesn't matter, you've been made to believe a lie. I mean, the writer of Hebrews is repeatedly drawing our attention to things that the Old Testament says that we can learn about the character of God. There's not an Old Testament God and a New Testament God. There's one God, and he never changes. So look at another example of this in Hebrews 12, just talking about what the fear of God is and how we ought to learn to fear the Lord. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 28, says, wherefore, we receiving a kingdom. That's talking about us, believers. We receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace. Whereby we, we as New Testament believers, we as saints. Whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Isn't that something? We're we're to have a healthy fear of God. And I would just encourage you, and I know that probably most of us, many of us, we live with that every day. And by the way, it's a healthy thing. You know, it's a healthy thing to know that God is always watching us, that God's aware of our thoughts, that God, God is aware of everything we do. He sees us. He knows us. He, he, he hears our language. He knows our thought life. He hears what we say to other people. And you know what? The fear of God helps us. Helps us. And that's why he says, cleanse ourselves from all filthiness, the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians 7 and spend a few more minutes there. 2 Corinthians 7. Notice the first part of this verse, verse 1. Having therefore these promises, have those two words, these promises highlighted in my Bible because that's so important. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. So what are those promises? Now I'm I'm just going to look at this verse and give you Uh, something that I think is helpful, and that is that there are really two powerful motivators in this verse for living holy lives. There are two powerful things that motivate us in our lifestyle. And the first one that we've already talked about some, and I'll mention it again in a moment, and that's the fear of God. That's a great motivator to do the right thing, right? But there's another motivator, and that's these promises 
having therefore these promises. Now, what are those promises? Well, those promises are referring to the last part of the text we read earlier, verses 17 and 18. And let's look at that again. Verse 17, it says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. Now, I want you to just really focus on that from that point down to the last part of the chapter. This is God speaking in the first person. And I will receive you. If you'll separate yourself, God says, I'll receive you. Look in verse 18. And will be a father unto you. And you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. So what he's saying is, if a person is willing to separate themselves from sin, if a person is willing to separate themselves from the things that are not beneficial to them and they're not glorifying to God, if a person is willing to do that, then God says, you're going to have a, a special fellowship with me, a blessed fellowship with God. Here's what happens. When we don't separate from sin, we distance ourselves from fellowship with God. Now, I don't mean you distance yourself from being a child of God. But it distances ourselves from having fellowship with God. Remember these words in 1 John? John said, if we say that we have fellowship with Him, if we say we're having close communion with God and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. So what is the motivator to cleanse ourselves? We fear God. We want to please God. But the second one is, God says if you don't separate yourself from sinful attitudes and sinful decisions and sinful behavior, if you don't separate yourself, you're going to hinder your fellowship with God. Your fellowship with God is not going to be what it ought to be. A lack of fear and a lack of separation will produce a lack of holiness, which will produce a, a hindered fellowship. Um, I'm going to leave 2 Corinthians 7 and we're not going to come back. But let's go to a couple of Old Testament passages and we'll wrap this up. Go first of all to the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. And God's language here from the Lord to Israel by the prophet Malachi. And I just want to look at one verse and see how it describes the effect of the absence of a reverence for God. This is God's word. Malachi chapter 1 and verse 6. Malachi 1, 6. A son honoreth his father and a servant his master. God then says, if I then be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? What he's saying to his people is, a, a physical son, a biological son will honor his father. And a person who is a slave or a servant will honor his master. But God says, I'm your father, where's my honor? And if I'm your master, where is my fear? In other words, why aren't you fearing me? If I'm your master, why don't you fear me? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you. O priests that despise my name, and you say, wherein have we despised thy name? Here's a classic example of people 
that did not fear the Lord. They didn't respect God. They didn't honor God. And, and you know what? God was displeased with that. Fearing the Lord is a good thing. You remember this in Proverbs? By the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. The fear of the Lord helps us do the right thing. Let's go to one other place, and that's the book of Psalms. And we're going to look at two verses in Psalms. A book of songs of worship. Psalms, let's go first of all to Psalm 34. Psalm 34. It's a psalm of David. Just the first four verses sort of set the tone for the psalm. So let's read them. Psalm 34, verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise, my, his praise shall continually be in my mouth. I want to continually be praising God. My soul, Psalm 34, 2. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. O oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all of my fears. We're all familiar, should be familiar with those verses. Great words of adoration and praise. But let's just skip down a little bit to verse 7. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Verse 9. Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Come, ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. I love that verse. I will teach you. You know, the fear of the Lord is something that has to be learned. We learn to fear the Lord. I'll teach you to fear the Lord. You know, one of the things I think that is so important, and I've just devoted this service to it tonight, is to walk in the fear of God. And here in the Psalms, we're reading about an attitude of worship, which should be a fear of God. There's one last verse we'll look at in Psalms. Go to the left to the beginning of the book of Psalms, Psalm 5. The fifth psalm, again, it's a psalm of David. He begins in giving praise and adoration to God. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Hearken unto the voice of my cry. My King and my God, for unto thee will I pray. My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord, in the morning. Will I direct my prayer unto thee and will look up? This is just a words, of, words of adoration and words of praise to God. But notice verse 7. That's the verse I want to get to. But as for me, David is speaking to God. But as for me, I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy. And in thy fear will I worship toward thy holy temple. He said, I'm going, to come in, I'm going to come into your house and I'm going to worship in, in, a, in the fear of God. That doesn't mean, again, that we're terrified that God's going to send lightning bolts and wipe us all out. No, it just means we have a reverence for God. We acknowledge Him. He's always with us. No matter where we go, He's with us. 
He's with us as much when we're at home with our family. He's with us as much when we're on the job. He's with us as much in the marketplace as He is with us here. He's with us. We're to fear Him. We're to reverence Him. And I think in in, in there He's talking about worshiping toward the holy temple, worshiping toward the house of worship. The fear of God, the fear of God helps us. We need, I mean, any, I think any, any thinking, spiritually minded person, I'm, and I may, be ex- I may be fine-tuning it too much, but I think any of us would say it, in our day and age, we need a revival of purity and holiness. God never told anyone Never, you're too holy. Right? Never. We need a revival of holiness. But without a, without a fear of God, it's very doubtful that we'll have any revival of holiness. Because according to our text, you know, it's the fear of God that motivates us to want to live holy lives. And so I could say we need a revival of holiness and purity, but I would say, I would preface that by saying we need a revival of the fear of God, a respect for God, an awe of God. A, you say, preacher, don't you think all of us have that? I hope we all have that, but I think all of us need to be reminded about the importance of fearing God with our lives. Amen. You know, if you take this and just apply it in a number of different areas, and let's just think about the matter of salvation. You know, one of the things that made me aware, I didn't get saved when I was a child, but I remember being very concerned about my soul as a child, sitting in services just like this. Mama took us to church. And one of the reasons, because I, was, I feared eternity separated from God. I feared going to hell. You say, well, that's not, that's not healthy. I think it is spiritually healthy that we have a fear of God, a fear of answering for our sin. And, 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 and take it another step. If, if God does not chasten us or deal with us about our sin... We have all the reason to believe that our relationship with God is not what it ought to be. It's not a good thing. It's not a good thing to be able to say things we shouldn't say and then go on as though it never happened. It's not a good thing, you know, to disrespect people in authority or, or being critical of others or, or you know, in the, saying things to your husband or wife that are prideful and arrogant and and, and rude and, not, and go on and feel good about it. That's not a good thing. That's, that's, not a, a, that's not a positive thing. It's a very negative thing. You know why we ought to stay right with God? It's because we fear Him. You know why we ought to stay right with one another? Because we fear God. It's a wholesome thing. It's a good thing. And may our children learn. As the psalmist said, teach, teach me. Let me teach you the fear of the Lord. 
We ought to teach them to fear God. Amen. Let's bow our heads together. For a moment, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Would you, as a parent, as a child, as a teenager, would you think about this for a moment? Would you honestly answer this question in your own mind? Do I fear God? Do I really fear God? And if not, then we ought to make some adjustments based on the Bible. Lord, I want to learn to fear you. By the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. I want to learn to fear God. Our Father, as we pray this evening, we thank you for your words here in Hebrews. Having these promises, God, thank you for the promises of fellowship with you, that you'll receive us as your children. You'll be a father to us. Thank you for the promises of just nearness to you that motivate us and also the fear of the Lord that motivates us to cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness. God, thank you for the sanctifying work in our lives that began at salvation. Thank you for what it means to be a saint, to be separated, to be set apart, not to be a part of this world. Thank you, Father, for redeeming us, cleansing us, washing us, justifying us. We're so thankful. But God, help us tonight. Help me to take serious the clear teaching, admonition to cleanse myself of all filthiness of the flesh and spirit and perfect holiness in the fear of God. Lord, we do fear you. We honor you. We want to please you. We want our conversation to be pleasing to you. We want our decisions, our priorities, our values, our entertainment, our leisure. We want it to be pleasing, Lord, to you.